you're listening to Radio Maria and this is Father Toby with your word for today on the Feast of St Anselm of Canterbury. And I want to begin today with the first reading from today's Mass, which is taken from Acts chapter 5. One member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee called Gamaliel, who was a doctor of the law and respected by the whole people, stood up and asked to have the apostles taken outside for a time. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, be careful how you deal with these people. There was Judas, who became notorious not so long ago. He claimed to be someone important, and he even collected about 400 followers. But when he was killed, all his followers scattered, and that was the end of them. And then there was Judas, the Galilean, at the time of the census, who attracted crowds of supporters. But he got killed too, and all his followers dispersed. What I suggest, therefore, is that you leave these men alone and let them go. If this enterprise, this movement of theirs, is of human origin, it will break up of its own accord. But if it in fact does come from God, you will not only be unable to destroy them, but you might find yourselves fighting against God. His advice was accepted, and they had the apostles called in, gave orders for them to be flogged, warned them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and released them. And so they left the presence of the Sanhedrin, glad to have had the honour of suffering humiliation for the sake of the name. They preached every day, both in the temple and in private houses, and their proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ was never interrupted. There's an old joke that says, in heaven the cooks are French, the policemen are English, the mechanics are German, the lovers are Italian, and the administrators are Swiss. Whereas in hell the cooks are English, the policemen are German, the mechanics are French, the lovers are Swiss, and the administrators are Italian. And I sometimes joke that the proof of the existence of the Holy Spirit is that the church still exists, despite having its administrative headquarters in Rome. Although maybe the Swiss Guard are doing some administration as well as guarding. But I also say that if you wanted to argue against the Holy Spirit, you'd say it was because the church was inspired to have its headquarters in Rome. But I tell these jokes not to simultaneously offend and compliment as many nationalities as I could quickly, but because of a a line in our first reading today, when some of the Sanhedrin are discussing what to do about the Christian problem. And one wisely suggests the following course of action. If this enterprise, this movement of theirs is of human origin, it will break up of its own accord. But if it does in fact come from God, you will not only be unable to destroy them, but you might find yourselves fighting against God. The existence of the church to which you belong is a remarkable thing. Humanly speaking, it had so little going for it, but fortunately, divinely, it has a lot. Napoleon Bonaparte once taunted a Catholic cardinal by threatening, your eminence, are you not aware that I have the power to destroy the Catholic church? To which the cardinal quipped, Your Majesty, we Catholic clergy have done our best to destroy the church for the last 1800 years. 
we have not succeeded and neither will you. There has been so much scandal and corruption in the church over the years. There still is. So much that attacks from the outside are perhaps the least of our worries. And yet the church still exists and indeed in many places thrives. The Catholic church to which you belong is way more remarkable than you probably think. I don't think it has any equivalent in human history. The most dominant cultural force and transformative force for good in all of human history and still transforming lives to this day. It can be tempting to look at the scandal and corruption and think, Jesus, yes, church, no. But the reality is Jesus founded a church and the personal relationship that we quite properly desire with him and that evangelicals will ask you if you have. That cannot come outside of the church because it is only in the church that we can receive him body, blood, soul and divinity. Only in the church that we can hear the scriptures authoritatively interpreted. The gospel today is the account of the miraculous superabundance of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. And as we read it so close to Easter, we're supposed to not just think of the remarkable fact of the miracle, but to view this miracle in light of the Last Supper, the crucifixion and the resurrection. To understand that what is going on in that remarkable meal on the shore of the Sea of Galilee is in fact a pointer to and much less remarkable than the heavenly banquet of the Mass, where we receive not just bread or fish, but the body, blood, soul and divinity of Christ. We receive not just the gift from Christ, but the gift from Christ of Christ. It's the Eucharist that is the heartbeat of the church. It's the divine Eucharist that sustains what so much human sin has tried to decimate. G.K. Chesterton wrote, it would seem that sooner or later, even the church's enemies will learn from their incessant and interminable disappointments not to look for anything so simple as its death. They may continue to war with it, but it will be as they war with nature, as they war with the landscape, as they war with the skies. They will watch for it to stumble. They will watch for it to err. They will no longer watch for it to end. Yes, we contribute much sin to the church, but Christ gives it something far more powerful and only it. But one other thing before you're tempted to judge the church too harshly. Too often we're tempted to judge the church by its sinners, by those who disobey her teachings. But the better judge of her and her goodness is those who do follow her teachings, the saints. Look to the saints and see the divine life made fruitful in the body of Christ the church. Look at the lives of incredible men and women, such as St. Anselm whom we celebrate today, born in a small town in Italy, who became a monk in Normandy and then Archbishop of Canterbury. A man whose beautiful and wise writings are still studied to this day, not just by the church, but even in secular philosophy departments which would seek to bring down the church.